the redeemed of the Lord say so. Does anybody here love Jesus? Amen. Oh, you are there. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. I've got um, an hour and a half to preach. That's perfect. I'm going to make it tight, really. And uh, let's ask God to help us. Lord, we want to come in simple faith in the great name of Jesus because he is great. He's the savior of the body. He's the one who has conquered death. And Lord, we, we love that reality that we have life eternal when we've put our trust in you and we're going to go to heaven. But Lord, we sang that song earlier for all the saints who now from their labors rest. Lord, may your soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as those saints who nobly fought of old. And win with them the victor's crown of gold. Hallelujah. And Lord, we want to win. Too many of us aren't winning. We're asking for help, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, would you break the back of the enemy? I don't know. People may not like me praying like this, but Lord, there is a stronghold of unbelief and deception that keeps us asleep in the light. Help us rebuke him today and illumine our minds. Help us in the great name of Jesus, we pray. He is worthy to be honored and exalted. And um, I, I couldn't help but having a stand to, to stir us up a bit because I get embarrassed if we're more excited about a ball team winning than we are about you saving us for eternity. So help us, we pray, in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated and thank you for uh, humoring me, enduring me, uh, tolerating me, whatever it might be. I have said I want to do two, two more extra things on Sunday morning, but today isn't a good day to do it because we had a missionary sharing with us and we're really excited that they were with us. Amen. And afterward, we're having lunch with them. We may let you sneak in, even if you didn't sign up, if you pay me. No, I'm kidding. And, um, and so we're going to be having a meal in here because of weather and heat and all that or whatever the reason. So uh, we'll give you about 15 minutes to fellowship after the service. And uh, one of the things that has changed in the atmosphere at Harmony is people actually like hanging out after church. What's the matter with you people? Can't have too much of that, you know, and yes, we can. And so I'll give you, you know, 15 minutes or so, and then we'll have to shoo you back a little unless you're up here to eat with the uh, Chris and talk and, and uh, interact with him, okay? The other thing I wanted to do was housekeeping every week, which would be speaking into some of the things that are broken that we still need to address. So starting next week, I'll pick up on that number. A couple of things may come out in my message today because I'm like that. I'm one of those interfering preachers, you know, he's always picking on something. And uh, anyway, are you guys okay? Or has summer worn you out already? Are you already worn out? Oh, yes, Pastor John, I'm pretty tired. Okay. The other thing I wanted to do was answer some questions from the Daily Bible. And since... The Daily Bible has brought you to the place where Joshua has conquered the promised land, right? 
Everybody who's anybody, anybody actually up to date. There's no pun. Kim, you're up to date. Woo! Tomorrow's reading is about the Amalekites, which I'm going to reference today. As a matter of fact, perfect timing because what? You're up to date. You're ahead of schedule. Show off. I'm in the Song of Solomon, but I'm not bragging. But I started way before you because I, I knew I was going to spring this on you, you know. So best, best decision I made since I've been here, to read the Bible together. I think it was a good thing to do. So there's a question that keeps coming up. And I'm, let me just be candid for you saints and non, those who may be looking in, wondering about the gospel. You're not sure about this Jesus thing or God or is there one? Uh, this is probably one of the toughest questions to answer for, the, for Christianity. It's the problem of pain. Why does a good God allow certain things to happen, right? It's a constant question. And in the scripture, we have these commandments about wiping people out. Yikes. Now, let me make it easy for us a little bit on the Amalekites. That's tomorrow's reading. There's a very clear instruction on that one. God tells Saul, take them out. And he tells why, because when the children of Israel were coming from Egypt on their way to the promised land, and, you know, when you travel, a million and a half people trekking through a desert, you have weak and stragglers and pregnant women and all of that that kind of trail off, the Amalekites viciously attack them. And God was like, what? In fact, there are several references if you ever want to look at them. Deuteronomy 25, Exodus 17. God says, I'm going to punish him because of my fierce wrath. God does have wrath. There are things that make him mad. Have you noticed there are things that should make you mad sometimes in our world? This was one of them. Picking on the innocents, attacking the children of Israel unprovoked, and especially preying on the weak stragglers. Cruel and unusual Unnecessary, And so he says, I'm going to bring judgment on that. Totally wrong. Now, when it comes to other groups, there are several things. And by the way, can I just be blunt? These answers aren't totally satisfying to us. They don't, I'm not not going to say, maybe my answers will help a little, but they don't totally satisfy. It's not like, gee, I got that totally figured out. Why God said, go in there and take out everybody. It's a hard one to figure out. However, let's get maybe just a little perspective. Number one, there was always opportunity for repentance and, and turning toward the God of Israel. The news of God's deliverance of the children of Israel spread all over the then known world. They all knew it. In fact, that's why they were hunkering down and saying, we're going to fight this one out. Great illustration, wonderful illustration of God's grace is Rahab the harlot in Jericho who converts to, Christ, to Christianity, well, pre-Christianity, really, becomes a member of the Jewish community and is actually listed as best as we can understand as one of the forebears of the person of Jesus coming. Isn't that cool? She saw it. We're, we're, there's no way we're going to win this. There's this God behind all of this. What, what are we doing going up against the Israelites? And so there was always that opening. The other thing that may bring some comfort, not a whole lot, is that the cultures that were being taken out were particularly vile. Their religion involved terrible idolatries that included sexual abuse. Okay, it was horrible. And if you know anything, in fact, you're Thailand. I was in Thailand. We were chatting a little bit. So what? Anyway. Uh, 
there was a, you know the counseling group, um, the well? Yes. So I was visiting one of those counselor missionaries, and uh, they're working with girls who have been trapped in the sex trade. And the younger they are and the longer they're in it, the more neurological damage that happens to these people. So there's this destructive effect on all the children, generation after generation. God was perhaps, in his grace, delivering those little ones, taking them by the grace of God to heaven, which I personally believe. You don't have to agree with me. But maybe there was mercy inverted in there. Now, that may not be totally satisfying, but it does help a little, perhaps. And since he's God and we're not... By the way, don't try to connect the dots from that to what's happening with the Islamic State because that's just pure demonic and not directly commanded by God in any way. In fact, Jesus raised the bar, right? In the new community, it's like, okay, here's how I see it. The point has been made. Well, why would innocent... Who's innocent? No one is really innocent. The point has been made that God's standards in here. All human beings are in rebellion against him. But now mercy has been extended through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's judgment on sin, all kinds, is represented... Oh, that screen's in the way, but there's a cross behind that screen. It's represented on the cross. That's God's opinion about sin, death. There it is! (laughs) The power is at work today. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So maybe that helps a little bit, okay? We could go on and on. It's hard to satisfy ourselves totally with that. It's tough stuff, no question. It really is. But God was moving things toward an appointed end, and he was getting rid of that which was corrupt because he knew the Israelites, those especially who did not have true trust in God, were going to be sucked into that wrong action, and they were. That was their downfall, as a matter of fact. All right, enough of that. My sermon today is uh, basically, well, here's the title. Is it too complex? Joshua chapter 1, too complex. And I'm going to explain why. I, I want to have a little fun with you. I know, I know that's bad in church. I know, I know, it's just... Uh, oh, by the way, no, I'm not going to say that. See, my wife isn't here. My wife left me again. This happens every so often, mainly because we have grandkids in Albany, so she left me. I didn't even know where to sit today. You know, I, I had to pick out my own clothes. They do match, right? Okay. And she's not here to keep me on task when my ADD kicks in. So let me keep myself on task. Because there are some people who think humor is like, that's inappropriate when you're preaching the word of God. Really? They ought to try reading the New Testament because Jesus was a riot, to be honest. He really was. He was funny, you know. Anyway, too complex. What on earth? This is a daily Bible study because out of the great sections that we're reading, there's some great texts that we ought to comment on. But let me start with a little humor. So I like the cartoons. Best part in the newspaper. I get the newspaper. My wife and I are old-fashioned. This is our thing. Early in the morning, we get up, put the coffee on. Hey, it doesn't get any better than this, does it? Get the paper, read the comics. It's the only thing worth reading. So I like non sequitur. If you've ever followed non sequitur, it doesn't follow Latin. Okay, but here's what it. Here's one of the ones I really like. God does the talk show circuit. So here she is. You see Jay Leno in the background. That's a pretty good likeness, right? It's Jay Leno. It says God saying, "I think my best creation was the sense of humor." 
The irony, of course, is that people who claim to believe in me are the most, are the ones who are least likely to have a sense of humor. <laughs> oh, ow, stop whining. I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes fundamental Christians just take themselves way too seriously. Next one. This is when we were doing the Ten Commandments, remember? This is the one I was looking for. The one commandment. You only need one. Don't be a jerk. It's called dumbing up. I had, I had an awful time getting this off the internet. I had a terrible time. I finally found it. I got it. Hey, Moses says, it works for me, but maybe you need to spell it out more for all the jerks down here. Okay, I guess... And just to make it interesting, Gary Larson says God sprinkled in a few jerks when he cooked up the world. See? <laughs> of course, we want to blame God, right? There's the problem of evil again. How come there are jerks in the world? I drive in Orange County. There definitely are jerks in the world, right? Okay. But here's where I was going with me. And this one's a little harder to see, so I'll have to read it for you. Gary Larson, the far side creator, who retired. Terrible tragedy of the last century. Terrible retired. Uh, brilliant. And this is one of my favorites right here. Two polar bears. The one polar bear is holding the igloo and it says, I lift, you grab. Was that concept a little too complex, Carl? <laughs> so their dinner's running away in the background. You know, is that too complex for you? Too complex. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, at least that was funny. You got that. So you guys have a sense of humor. So God telling Leno is not talking about you. That's good. All right. What's too complex? Are there things hard to understand in the scripture? Absolutely. It'd be a lie for Christians. Oh, everything in there is just simple. I love it when people say, oh, I've read Revelation. It's all clear what's going to happen. Wow, would you enlighten me? It's not all that clear. There's some, I'll, I'll quote my dear friend from the South, a George boy, George Green. We're going to win in the end. <laughs> That's clear. <laughs> the rest, not so much, right? All right, here's our commandment, and it's not complex. Joshua chapter 1, 7 and 8, right? This is a memory verse. I wrote down in your notes, if you're a note taper, it's a memory verse. You ought to memorize this. You ought to have this under your belt. Only be strong and very courageous, God says to Joshua. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Can you say that with me? Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have misery in your life and be crushed down, weighed down and pathetic. Oh, I think I read that wrong that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Thank you, dear sister. You're killing me. You all know that, right? You're killing me. I dated a Jewish girl. Her mother would say to her, Doris, you're killing me. John is a wonderful boy. Find a nice Jewish boy like John. But you're killing me with this goy. 
If you never get excited about Jesus, you're, you're killing me. I'm just telling you, you're killing me, okay? We have to have more. Yeah, anyway. Let me give you a different version, memory verse. This is the New Jerusalem Bible version of this last verse. Have this book of the law always on your lips. When we read it and it says, shall not depart from your mouth. Doesn't that sound weird? It's like, I should never say anything. I should never open my mouth about the Bible. No, that's not what it's saying. It should always be on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Did you meditate on it last night and today? Probably not. So that you may carefully keep everything that is written in it. That you do what it says. Is this too complex, Carl? No. Then your undertakings will prosper. Then you will have success. That's what God wants for us. Is there an app? Of course. Joshua is getting ready to go into the promised land and war, okay? And we're not Joshua. I get that. But isn't the principle still applicable? It's all throughout the scripture. It's just a good memory verse. That's why I brought it up. So why is this so important? The word of the Lord. You had in your song, Mike, I, I, your truth is the compass. Right? Your truth is, that was a good song. I had good words in it. I think a Christian may have wrote that. It's too good. Apparently it is. Apparently it is. Um, the word, your word will what, align my voyage. That was some of the words in there. That's very good. Why is the word so important? Evangelicals today are not all that sure about that. The word. I'm going to show you a verse in just a second that will confirm. But let me just read something from Barna. Everybody remember Barna? He does all the statistical reports. So uh, he, he became a virtual god among evangelicals for what Barna says. But he had some good stuff. He really did. Ed Stetzer in the exchange commenting on a 2009, so less than a decade old, uh, survey about Bible beliefs. About Americans and then specifically those who would call themselves evangelicals, Bible believers. Okay, like us types. The born-again types, you know, those, those crazies, them, those, them. Okay, one-third of all adults, 34%, believe, this is, this is great, I'm sure this has gone down since then, one-third of all adults, 34%, believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by circumstances. But that's people in general, what do they know? Slightly less than half of the born-again adults, 46%, believe in absolute moral truth. Did you hear what I just said? Less than half of those who say, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus, believe in an absolute moral truth. Uh-oh. Next one. Half of all adults firmly believe the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches. That proportion includes four-fifths of born-again adults, 79%. So 79% concur that what the Bible teaches is true. That's good. I'm not sure how you put that together with what I'm about to read now. Just one quarter of adults, 27%, are convinced that Satan is a real force. So even non-believers out there think Satan is a real force of some sort. Even a minority of born-again Christians, are you ready? 40% adopt that perspective. What? That's what I said. What? Who said that? I'm with you. What? 
40%. So, okay, I'm not done. Let me finish. It's impossible. So, oh, similarly, only one quarter of adults, 28%, believe that it is impossible for someone to earn their way to heaven. Listen up, friends. Through good behavior. Here it comes. Not quite half of all born-again Christians, 47%, strongly reject the notion of earning salvation through their deeds. I don't know if... Let me, let me unpack that so it's clear. Less than half of people professing to be followers of Christ understand the gospel. They don't get it. They don't get it. I don't know whether they're born again or not, but they don't get it. Because if you think you're going to earn your way, good luck with that, friend. How much is enough to earn your way? So here's the fulcrum, you know, the scales. You put all your bad deeds, all your good deeds. If I do enough good deeds, I've got to help a lot of little old ladies across the street this week because my bad deeds, when I lost my temper last week, oh, my gosh, you know where I'm sliding right into, oh, the bad place. Minority of American adults, 40%, are persuaded that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life while he was on earth. Get this. Slightly less than two-thirds of the born-again segment, 62% strongly believe that he was sinless. 62%, what about the other 40%, aren't convinced that Jesus was, obviously, they don't believe he was God. Is that a problem? Yeah, hello. So Stetzer's conclusion at the bottom. Second, the generational pattern suggests that parents are not focused on guiding their children to have a biblical worldview. We don't have a biblical worldview. That raises a third challenge, which relates to the job that Christian churches, schools, parachurch ministries are doing in Christian education. And that includes us, friends. It includes our school. It includes our church. Are we getting a biblical worldview? I've interacted with enough people in the school and here. I'm not sure you have a biblical worldview. What does God say is reality and right and true? Not what you decided and made up and how your coffee made you feel today. That's irrelevant. What does God actually say? So here's why I'm pressing on this. I'm pressing on it because how can you not believe certain parts of the scripture and yet you think you're going to heaven? On what basis? I prayed a prayer. I went forward at a meeting. My mommy prayed for me. I saw a shooting star. I had someone tell me that one. Yeah, I saw a shooting star. That's how I knew. I'm like, that's wonderful. You know that astronomy is real. That's great. But it doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It has nothing to do with that. How do we know? Here's a great verse. You're going to be getting into this if you haven't. All right, you should have passed this already if you're up on your reading. Remember when Samuel was called? Anybody remember that great story? I love that story. Uh, it's particularly close to my spirit for my personal Reasons, but I won't tell you now. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. Someone here had a question on that. Brian, where'd he go? There he is. Oh, it was you. Um, how could he not know the Lord? Because we bring our kids to school, they, uh, church rather, they worship the Lord, correct? They worship the Lord. They, they sing hymns with us. They participate. They're worshiping the Lord. Does my child know him yet? Maybe, maybe not. 
You're going to grow up into it. He was doing the right thing. He was innocent as a little child. Then as he got older, he came to the point where the Holy Spirit connected with him and he knew the Lord. And here's what the scripture says, the second verse going, this is the end of the chapter. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. How? How? By the word of the Lord. The Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The word had not come to him. How do I know God? His word. Word first. Not your feelings. Not your experience. You better have it founded on the eternal word of God. I know where I'm heading, not because I'm wonderful and I had a fantastic spiritual experience. But because God says, this is what is true. Christ died for the ungodly. And those who put their trust in him are delivered. That's why. That's why it says in Romans, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The emotions of Christ. Oh, no, no. The weather of, no, no. The worship service of Christ. No. Thank you. The word of Christ. I just want to, I remember when I used to, we went to a church after, uh, let's see, I was in, I left my first church in uh, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. We were worshiping with friends in their church, and it was a charismatic church, so lots of people raised their hands and stuff. You know, I know that's not necessarily, anyway, they raised their hands, it was fun. And I would have my son on my lap, and he was like four and he'd have his blanket, you know, and all cozy. And uh, my brothers and sisters would start praising God. We had some great praise sessions. And, and we're praising God, and my little boy would just go. <laughs> it, was, it was hysterical. We just walked. My, I look at my wife. She looks at me. We're like, oh, that's so cute. That's so precious. <laughs> Did he know the Lord yet? Was he worshiping the Lord? Yes. Same thing. God finally reveals himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And he reveals himself through Samuel to the children of Israel. How? By the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. That's why the word is so powerful. God spoke and the world came into existence. It's God's word that matters. Get it right. It's not your little warm fuzzies. And they're great to have. I have a lot of them. I have lots of stories, lots of fuzzies. But ultimately, they better be founded on the word or you're going to be in trouble. So when you believed, how do you know? Is it based on the word? Have you settled that issue? Do you have a sure word? If I were to ask you today, you think you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Yeah. What? passage of scripture secures your soul tell me which one if you can't give me an answer you better start digging next thing after the way to eternal life that's why the word is so important it's the guide to the abundant life well that should be obvious our attitude toward the word of God is what brings about the kind of life that Jesus is looking for in us doesn't that make sense course it does jesus said things to that effect let me show you well you know he said if you love me you will you will keep my commandments right 
made a statement like that. Let me show you a great passage. I love this Old Testament section. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? My hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. In other words, I'm God Almighty. You don't even get me. If you were to see me as I really am, you'd burn up. I'm beyond you. I don't need you. I don't need any of your stuff. Oh, God needs my money. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need anything. What what are you going to give me? That's what he's saying. So even though I'm so other than you are, and he is, he's infinitely perfect, holy, beautiful. None of us can say that about ourselves, right? We may have a little bit of it. Please, Lord, (laughs) give me a little. Especially beauty. Anyway, he doesn't need us. But look what he says. I love this. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who what? Trembles at my word. Isn't that a great verse? Here's what it means. Humble means I'm lowly. I recognize that I'm needy. It's people on those farm territories they know they're needy right i got everything i don't know i'm needy oh yes you are you just don't know it needy second word contrite it means smitten smitten you know like when you fall in love and you're smitten <laughs> you know you know about that right okay you better anyway and quieted down. In fact, here's the Latin translation. It can be used adverbial for being cautious. But the Latin translation of this word is sedates. Does that sound like anything? Sedate. Sedated. Quiet. What it's describing is you've stopped struggling. It's I'm humble, I'm lowly, I'm contrite, and that I'm not arguing with you anymore. But why? But but, but I don't like this God. No, my attitude is, okay, you win. I'm settled down. I'm lit. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And the last word is tremble, to be so afraid you're shook. I don't know how else to put it. That's what it means. So afraid that you're shook. When I read the scripture, and and I'm not saying we should be walking around, (laughs) every time I open the scripture... But when I read the scripture and something speaks, I go, oh, my gosh, I've been totally forgetting that. It rattles my cage. I had an elder in my church up north say, you ought to feel jacked up, you know. know, Whoa, that verse jacked me up. Why are you looking at me like, you know what I mean? Jacked up. Your car's broke. You jack it up. You fix it. I'm sorry I'm so boring. You want me to close in prayer now? I'll close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. We had such a good time today. Okay, next one. Ready? You are my friends. I invite you. This is the one I will lean down. I will hang out with. The one who is humble, contrite, trembles at my word. You're my friends if you do what I command. Is this too complex, Carl?
No, just do what it says. By the way, I don't mean it's easy to understand everything that Jesus is telling us to do. That's not what I mean, that we do need some interpretation. Like the young man who went to his pastor and said, gee whiz, pastor, um, when I pray, because Jesus told me to go in my closet and pray, is it all right if I leave the door open a crack? Because it gets awful stuffy in there after about a half hour. He didn't mean that. So you want to make sure you know what it means. But when you know what it means, what it's clearly saying about righteous absolutes, e.g., some of the things we went through with the Ten Commandments, we looked at some very fundamental stuff. Those are the principles that God says this is what you should do. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Is that too complex? Apparently. So that you may, and when I do, he's my friend, and I'm blessed, and that's the way it ought to be, so that you may have success wherever you go. Last thing. The scripture is the remedy for the short-changed life. You can fill in whatever you want, short-changed or self-sabotaged if you want. You can use self-sabotage. That's what Saul did to himself. I told you tomorrow's reading is the Amalekites, right? If you want to follow along in the scripture, this passage is at the bottom of page 297 where Samuel rebukes Saul because he doesn't do what he was supposed to do. It's as simple as that. So let me just show you the text by way of uh, illustration of how to avoid, how to remedy shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging yourself. Don't you, don't, you all get this? Pa- Pastor John, you're going to answer to Jesus one day for what happened in this church. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to answer for what I did, my responsibility. When I overslept, I'll, I'll take the slap on the wrist, whatever. But my brothers and sisters, all of us are going to stand before God. All of us. And give an account for what we've done. Serving him or not? Why shortchange yourself? I'd rather invest now in what's going to pay off later, right? That's why I put money in my IRA, don't you? No? You ought to talk to somebody. Anyway, that's another subject. Oh, that got that. You're awake now, right? Oh, money. Okay, so I'm teasing you. I was teasing you. Okay. Remedy for the shortchange, sabotage, self-sabotage life. Here it is. Saul said to Samuel, get this. What are you doing? I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission which the Lord sent me on. He even sounded like that, I think. And have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Well, he's an Amalekite. How come he's still alive? And have utterly destroyed the Amalekite. Oh, oh, by the way, the people took some of the spoiled sheep and oxen, some of the choicest things devoted to destruction so that we could sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Wasn't that a good idea? But we do stuff like this, don't we? We go to the left and to the right. We fudge. We fool around. We say, oh, I don't need to obey. I don't want to obey that. You know, I know when the spirit is nagging me, it's time for you to talk to that person. I don't want to. Maybe I can slide for two more weeks. Maybe they won't come to church. I won't see them. We know. We know. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, you know. Oh, the people had this great idea, so I went along with the crowd because I want to be Mr. Nice Guy. Whatever your problem is, Saul, I don't know, but Samuel says, you blew it. What's all this bleeding of sheep? Well, you were supposed to wipe out everything. What happened here? 
Samuel said, here's another memory verse, friends. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Anybody recognize that? For rebellion is as the sin of divination. You might as well be calling up demons in a seance than to turn to the left or to the right. Are you listening? And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Whoa, those are mighty tough words, don't you think? That's a great memory verse, by the way. The whole point being, God has given us his word because it's the guide for us. Obey it. Make sure your salvation is secure based on the word, not some experience. It's good to have the experience backing up the truth of the word. That's great. I have lots of experience that back up that what the Bible says is true. And that's what you want. And then follow him, obey him, become friends with God, connected with him, enjoying him, the life of blessing, and avoid being short cheated, short, 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 short shorts. Avoid short shorts, they're bad. <laughs> Very embarrassing. Don't wear those short shorts. <laughs> avoid the short change life and the sabotage life. No, why? Because God says to us, be strong. Now we're full circle. Be careful to do according to the law. Don't turn from it to the right or the left. Why? So that you may have success. I'm so grateful when I became a new Christian. Uh, a guy, I think I've mentioned Frank Frost, was ordained at 72 years of age. He became my mentor. I had all these occult books, and I saw him, and I said, what a... Where do I start looking? And he pushed all that aside and he said, just to be clear, this book. Get in this book. Get in this book. And I did. I took it to heart. It has guided me for 45 years in ministry. I have a sign at home that my uncle did in wood, cut out, long story, but it says Jesus never fails. I found out that's true. Some of you have never found it out. You keep letting him down, then you blame him. It's endless. This book. So let me read something to close, just for fun. This is just for fun, okay? And it's an old, old um, article by, and it would help if I had it. That, that makes it better. Every, anybody ever hear of A.W. Tozer? We recommended reading some of his stuff earlier, last year, two years ago. This is a classic track by Tozer called Paths to Power. Paths to Power. The Fruits of Obedience. Because that's what that whole thing was about, what I'm preaching. I'm pointing up there because my screen is there, your screen's over there. But that's what I'm talking about. It's all about obeying his word, taking it seriously. To obey in the New Testament usage means to give earnest attention to the word of God, to submit to its authority, to carry out its instructions. The church of our day has soft-pedaled the doctrine of obedience, either neglecting it altogether or mentioning it only apologetically, as it were, by, way of, by, by the way. This results from a fundamental confusion of obedience with works. You understand what he means? We don't work our way to heaven. I already went over that earlier. It's a fundamental confusion with works in the minds of preacher and people. To escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. Oi, 
in our eagerness to get rid of the legalistic doctrine of works, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater and gotten rid of obedience as well. So let's hear straight up. The Bible knows nothing of salvation apart from obedience. Just doesn't. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The trouble with many of us today is that we are trying to believe without intending to obey. The message of the cross contains two elements. Can I just... I I need to editorialize for one second. One of our dangers... How come... I've been doing this a long time. I've been a Christian since 1971. The Holy Spirit still jacks me up. When was the last time he jacked you up? Something's wrong. So don't go, oh, I already got this. I'm already doing it. Yeah, I agree with everything that preacher said. No, you don't. Trust me. The message of the cross contains two elements, promises and declarations to believe, commandments to be obeyed, those two things. One is addressed to the mind to be encouraged. The other is addressed to the will, which means obeying. You don't need to pray about obeying. You just do it, right? It's equally impossible to believe a command. It is not addressed to our understanding, but primarily to our will. The doctrine of Christ crucified and the wealth of truths which cluster around it have in them this dual content. So the apostle can speak of obedience to the faith without being in contradiction. The weakness in our message today is our overemphasis on faith with a corresponding underemphasis on obedience. This has been carried so far that believe has been made to double for obey. In the minds of millions of religious people, a host of mental Christians have been produced whose characters are malformed and whose lives are out of proportion. Imagination has been mistaken for faith and has been made to do service for obedience. And you can be mad at Tozer all you want because I'm reading him. There is a mental disease fairly familiar to all of us where the patient lives in a world wholly imaginary. It is a play world, a world of make-believe with no objective reality corresponding to it. Everyone knows this except the patient himself. He will argue for his world with all the logic of a sane man, and the pathetic thing is he is utterly sincere. So we find Christians who have lived so long in the rarefied air of imagination, it seems next to impossible to relate them to reality. Non-obedience has paralyzed their normal legs and dissolved their backbones. So they slump down in a spongy heap of religious theory, believing everything ardently, but obeying nothing at all. Indeed, they are deeply shocked at the very mention of the word obey. To them, it smacks of heresy and self-righteousness. I was called a Pharisee by somebody when I challenged them to obey. I'm a Pharisee. Thank you, Lord. It is the conviction of the writer that the modern misconception of the function of faith and the failure of our teachers to insist upon obedience have weakened the church and retarded revival tragically in the last half century. He's writing a long time ago. Sure sure sounds relevant to me. What does all this add up to? Of this we can be certain. Get this. This is the fulfillment of the verse we looked at today. God is waiting in all readiness to send down floods of blessing upon us as soon as we begin to obey his plain instructions. 
We need no new doctrine, no new movement, no key, no imported evangelist, no expensive course to show us the way. It is before us as clear as a four-lane highway. To any inquirer, I would just say, just do the next thing you know you should do to carry out the will of God. If there's sin in your life, quit it. Put away lying, gossiping, dishonesty, whatever your sin may be. Forsake worldly pleasures. I'm going to meddle now. Forsake worldly pleasures, extravagance in spending, vanity in dress, in your car, in your home. Get right with any person you may have wronged. Forgive everyone who may have wronged you. Yikes. Begin to use your money to help the poor and advance the cause of Christ. Take up the cross and live sacrificially. Pray, give, attend the Lord's service. I reference you to the message of June 4th. And pray, give, and attend the Lord's service. Witness for Christ. Look to no cost. Fear no consequences. Study the New Testament to learn a will of God, and then do that will as you see it. Start now by doing the next thing. Hello. How hard? Is that too complex, Carl? Let's stand together. I'm sorry, I had a great time today. (laughs) Wherever you ended up, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord Jesus, today, for those who maybe recognize it's time to stop arguing with you about what is right, grant them grace to come and get right with you this morning, now, today. For those who are not in the family, they, they I had an experience, but I'm not really sure. I don't know any verse that tells me I'm on my way to heaven. Let them settle that, even today. If not, chase them down for your name's sake, Lord. Gain, Jesus, the reward of your suffering by rescuing those that you intend to bring to glory. And for we who are your children, help us simply to manifest we're disciples. We love him, and that's why we do what he says. It's not too complex. So help us, we pray. In the great name of Jesus, amen. You are dismissed. If you want to pray, I'm here. You have 15 minutes to fellowship, and then... (laughs)